What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm Taylor. And Taylor, the holiday break has come and gone for the Sabres and the rest of the NHL. We're recording this one ahead of their matchup against the Bruins on Wednesday night, but with good reason, because we are thrilled to welcome back a former guest of Straight Up Sabres. You know him as the go-to for all things Sabres prospects, none other than Chris Baker. Chris, welcome back to Straight Up Sabres. Happy holidays. It's a pleasure to join you guys. Good to pleasure see you. It's, to been, you. it's been a while. Three years? See, Linus think... Allmark was still on the Sabres when we talked last. Oh, my God. <laughs> I thought it would have maybe been like a year and a half ago, but yeah, holy shit. That really puts it in perspective. Wow. Wow. We've come a long way since then, Chris. And things are very active for the Sabres in a multitude of ways here. It has been an up and down season, to say the least not really managing to hit the high expectations that I think a lot of Sabres fans had. And rightfully so coming into this season, of course, the team had some shortcomings there, but certainly the start that they've gotten off to in the 23-24 season has not been what the majority of fans or the organization for that matter would have been expecting. That being said, though, one thing that the Sabres organization does have the ability to hang its hat on is the fact that there is an influx of youth and talent within this organization. And so who better to talk to about that than you, Chris? So we're very excited to have you here. And really at the start of, of all of these conversations, that we're going to be having today is the World Junior Championships, which of course are going on right now. The Sabres have seven players in this year's World Junior Championships. And Chris, we were talking a little bit beforehand, uh, before we started recording, just about the fact that you're not really a big believer that what we see in these early preliminary rounds is really something that is going to tell a story of a player or, or you're going to learn something from the player. It's really more so once you get into the medal rounds here. So as we're in the early goings of the World Junior Championships on Wednesday, we're coming off of a huge performance from Yuri Kulik, putting up a, a hat trick and adding an assist. Canada, as we're recording right now, is absolutely dominating in their match. Uh, Noah Ostland has gotten off to a good start. There's, of course, Anton Wahlberg joining him for Sweden. So, Chris, can you just give me a, a general overview of the Sabres prospects right now participating in the World Junior Championships and what you've seen so far from them? Yeah, absolutely. I think... Um... And just to clarify to my my off camera comments to start, I think it's guys like Kulik and Savoy that I'm not gonna and, and you know for fans that don't get to see him every night, they might get a better idea, especially with Savoy because they didn't get a chance to look at him a lot in preseason. But like Kulik and Savoy, they're such high level guys, and they're they've you know they have nothing left to prove at the junior level, even though this is Savoy's first tournament. I'm looking forward to seeing those guys in the medal rounds because that's when the cream has to rise, and you know you see more of what they're made of, and they have to dig a little deeper. Um, but for these other guys that are playing maybe for the first time or, or younger or on underdog teams, I think they still have a lot to teach us in the um, in the preliminary round. I just wanted to be kind of clear on that because it's not like I'm blowing it off entirely. Of course, of course. Um, yeah, yeah. So, but I think if we start um, with the host team, uh, you know, on the top line for Sweden, you have two Sabres prospects, Noah Oslin at center and then playing right wing is Anton Wahlberg and what they did there, um, they put together a nice mix of skill sets because their other winger is Jonathan Lekaramaki, who was in that same draft class as Oslin, mm -hmm. two skill guys. They played each other internationally, uh, with each other internationally for a while. And they put a big body there to kind of win pucks in the corners and be a big presence in front of the net. And that's how they're using Wahlberg. So Wahlberg scored Sweden's first goal of the tournament just by setting a screen and getting a piece of an oncoming point shot. But I mean, you know, it's really good to see Oslin back. He... um got knocked out of a game in the Swedish hockey league mid November, missed a month. 
and then was off the ice for a while, skated a couple times with Vekwa and then just went right into Sweden's camp in mid-December and kind of ramped up quickly. Looks really sharp. Um, I think the biggest thing that fans may not realize about Oslin is that he's a complete player because you'll, you might make judgment on him being slight in stature, um, but he battles. He's really committed defensively, comes all the way back, deep in the zone, supports his defenseman. So I like him there, and he's doing that also in this tournament. They've only played one game thus far, but he looks good. Savoy, uh, while we were talking, they scored another goal Canada did. So we're recording this during the Latvia-Canada game, for those wondering. It's 10 nothing now. Um, Savoy's playing on the second line. Yeah, but that's kind of what I'm talking about, Taylor. I see Taylor on the screen. That's why I'm addressing <laughs> Taylor right now. It's like, it's Latvia. Like, yeah. I'm not learning much from Savoy's game playing against Latvia, honestly, especially when he's still working his way through chemistry, new line mates. Like, he's playing on a line with Matthew Patra, who didn't even really participate much of Canada's camp. You know, Canada, they bolted over to Sweden before Poitra was even released by Boston. Um, so he's still working his way in at, like, figuring out, like, who his line mate is. Um, he's playing on a line, though. It's kind of their second line, Savoy is, with Poitra at Easton Cowan. Um, he looks good. You know what I mean? I mean, but again, like we're, we're not going to get a lot by watching him just, you know, Canada curb stomp Latvia. Um, but, you know, they're putting him in the bumper on the power play, which is kind of a new look for him. He doesn't, he plays more on the outside when he's in Wenatchee. Um, so I thought that that was kind of interesting to see how they're using him there on their second power play unit. I think through time in those pressure games, when Canada gets to the medal round, I think you'll see them toss Savoy out there on a second PK unit and get him some looks because they're going to want their speedy skill guys out there in more situations, I think. So that's something I'll be looking for. But, um, you know, that's three of the guys. The biggest guy, though, that I've been really impressed with is Maxim Sturbach. He's their do-it-all guy for Slovakia. First, you know, he's, he's gotten over 23 minutes in the first two games. He's out there on their number one PP, number one PK. He just does everything for them. And... I said it on my own podcast on the in the preview. I think he's an NHL player down the line. I think there's, you know, you don't want to really put those tags on guys too much or like, you know what I mean? Pin your ass to the wall, make this grand proclamation. But he has everything I think that it takes because he's simple and he's very sure-handed with the puck. He doesn't try to do too much. He plays within himself. He's big. He's physical. He's, he's a really good player. I'm really excited for fans, if there's two players that I think I'm most excited for fans to get familiar with, everyone wants to think it's Kulik and Savoy and maybe Oslo. No, it's Anton Wahlberg and it's Maxim Sturbach. Um, because those guys are going to play important roles, I think, in the middle of a lineup down the line. Wahlberg, I can see being an NHL guy too, because he has that, that's, that's kind of like Sturbach. They're big, they can skate, and they have skill. And that's a nice combination to have if you're trying to become an NHL player. I just kind of bounced from Sturbach back to Wahlberg there. Yeah. Um, the other guy, though, you, you asked me to kind of go through, so I'll just keep going because there's only two more, if you sure. don't mind. We can expand on more, too. Um, Scott Ratzloff is also in the tournament. He's the third goalie for Canada right now. For me, it was getting him on the team this year, but I think it's more setting him up to be next year. The guy. Um, and kind of you know carry the load next year, yeah. And then... Um, Norwin Panaka, we've seen play his first game today. Uh, you probably have questions about him. I think just to kind of set the table for what he's doing right now, um, he, you know, he's he's still adjusting to North American hockey, so it's probably a breath of fresh air for him to go back to Gothenburg and play back on the European size sheet. But he's a bottom pair guy right now. Maybe, you know, like he's like a 4-5 guy. That's where he kind of slots in on Germany's roster right now. 
He's one of the younger players on the team. I think they had six oh fives on their team and two two oh five defensemen. He's one of the two oh five defensemen, but he's still learning. And again, kind of like what do you say about Ratzlaff? I think um he's he's there on merit, Panaka is in terms of being one of seven German defensemen on their roster, but they would expect him to play a bigger role next year as long as they don't get relegated. And they won today, Germany did. They beat Finland for the first time ever. They were they were 0 and 25 against Finland coming wow. into today at the World Juniors, and they won for the they first time, beating the Finns. And that's a big program for them to get a win against. But um, so there's your kind of your high level rundown. Love that. You want to kind of scratch this... the surface deeper? Let's let's roll, man. Let's, let's do let's that. I want to I, I want to go back to Sturbach <laughs> there, actually, Chris. You know, I, I think it's really interesting with him. You have a, a six foot two right shot defenseman who, as you said. Is, is playing in all situations right now. He's getting really, really solid minutes there. What do you think not only his timeline looks like, but also what do you think, what kind of player do you think he maxes out as? Like, what do you think the potential is there with Sturbach? You know, as we know at the Sabres blue line, there's, there's really two sure things that we know, at least for the long haul and, and Darlene and power being on the high end side. You have Matias Samuelson locked up for uh, five more years after this year, but obviously he's had a very up and down year. Ryan Johnson has been excellent. We'll talk more about him, um, but relative to him getting his first taste of NHL minutes this season, he's, he's looked really solid. But the thing is, is that all of those guys are, of course, left shot defensemen. Sturbach is, I would say, I, I think I pretty clearly the organization's highest right shot prospect right now. Uh, what, what do you make of Sturbach's game? And again, yeah, like as far as his timeline goes for when we may see him, you know, kind of moving his way up the ranks and eventually getting to the NHL. And then what kind of defenseman you think he profiles as at the NHL level? Yeah, you'll hear a lot of people say that he has more to give offensively. And I think you'll start to see that more as he gets deeper in his career. He's just a freshman right now at Michigan state. Um, you know, they kind of guarded his minutes a little bit in the beginning. I mean, they were throwing him out there on a regular shift, but he wasn't, you know, in the top pair or anything like that. Um, I think for him, you know, I can see him playing two more years of college and leaving after his junior year. That's kind of that template that you're going to see from a lot of these guys. We thought Ryan Johnson maybe would have done that. He was the rare bird that went and completed the four years of school. Um, so with that said, I mean, Sturbach right now is playing his third world junior. So this kid has an impression, an impressive international resume. He'll go back and probably play a fourth next year. Not wow. a lot of guys do that. So he's going to, you know, it just adds more polish. Um, but there's differences. You're still trying to figure out who he's going to be in four or five years. I still think he's going to be, you know, firmly, you know, probably like a, a, a 4D, maybe a 3, 4D, you know, a, a, one of those guys that maybe as a right shot, you can pair with one of your two pillars down the line. That would be ideal, mm -hmm. um, especially as, like you know, if an Owen power continues to grow and blossom. I, I know he's not maybe hitting the mark and he's been a little underwhelming for fans this year. Owen power is still an awesome young hockey player who still has room to grow, you know, and when we talk about power, you, we'll, I'm quick to point out, hey, how long it took Victor Hedman to figure out who he was as an NHL player. Give power a little room to breathe. I know he's not, he's contributing to the Sabres, not meeting expectations right now, but he's going to be one of those guys that'll roam more. And mm -hmm. you're going to need a guy like Sturbach to maybe play with him and just kind of settle things down and kind of hang back. I could see Sturbach being a guy like that down the line. But, um, you know, right now they'll think of a player who is definitely sturdy defensively that likes to kill penalties and braces that side of playing defense. And that's what you're going to get with Sturbach. It's a matter of, you know, 
who he gets chemistry with. Cause you get a lot of those questions all the time, Brennan. It's like, you know, what, what's this guy's ceiling, you know, even a forward. It's like, I don't know who the hell is he going to have chemistry with? Cause that's right. a huge part of what they're, you know, how you're going to put him in the lineup. So um, that's kind of how it is with Sturbeck. Sturbeck's a guy that's going to be able to play with anybody. And how do you feel he settled in at Michigan state this year? You know, last year he ended up getting drafted out of, you know, being in the USHL. Now I believe he's about 15 games deep at Michigan state. Uh, how do you feel about his role there and and how he's looked in that transition? It's funny because um, they have Levshin out there. Who's a big draft eligible and he's the high profile freshman that everyone's watching and they rely on him for offense and that kid's a freak, by the way. If, you, if you're not familiar with him, he's probably, you know, consensus top 10, maybe top six. Freak, though, physically. Um, but having another freshman there that has a little more spotlight on him, I think it's allowed Sturbach to get in there and just play his game, keep things simple. Um, he's on their number one PK. And again, I think that kind of proves that, you know, you're throwing a young guy out there, but what they think of his defensive acumen. I've liked him early. And... I always will look at a freshman's first semester of college hockey and give them a little bit of just let them figure it out. And then you want to see them take that next step in the second semester. That's how Ryan Johnson was, by the way. We all see Ryan Johnson now and you see how polished he is. I remember his first semester and you say, okay, he looks good. And then his second semester as a freshman, you're like, okay, he's starting to make some wow plays some big moments. Um, I think Sturbach's ahead of that curve right now for a lot of factors, his usage, um, they don't need him to do too much, but he keeps it simple, really good in front of his net, really good beneath the goal line, winning battles, using his body. He gets the puck. He doesn't try to do too much with it at the NCAA level. He doesn't try to take it four or five strides and look to make a pass. He wins a puck and he gets it off his stick quickly because the game's that much faster at the NCAA level for him. Mm -hmm. World juniors, different story. World juniors, he's jumping into the play. He's skating the puck a little bit more. He's doing a little bit more because he can do more. Kind of knows where he is. Um, but no, I I think that he's ahead of the curve. And, you know, he's got, I think, what, a goal and four assists, something like that. But it's not even about yeah. the offensive statistics. Those will come. He'll start to produce more points. He's on a really good team. You know, they're a top 10, top 12 team in the NCAA. Michigan State's kind of, they're rebounding back into their past glory. Uh, they had some really down years there, but um, Nightingale's got that program going and Sturbach, I think, you know, those guys are going to want to be there too. That's another reason why I can see him being, you know, there through his junior year and then he'll probably bounce out. But the other thing I wanted to say about him real quick, and I won't, I, I had coffee. You can talk. <laughs> Just how um, we like you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wish everyone would say that. Um <laughs> He speaks five languages, you know, so this isn't oh, a kid. Man. This isn't like a, just like a Czech kid coming over and like being in the States for the first time. He played in the USHL a year, but he's, he speaks fluent English. I think that helped with his transition too to school life as well as hockey and communicate with his teammates and everything else. I mean, he's, you know, he might as well, he's basically an American. Very nice. Wow. That's really interesting yeah. about the five languages. That's yeah, like, seriously. Oh, so I, I did want to switch gears a little bit to goaltending. So that's obviously always a big topic recently in Buffalo. But as far as prospects go, there's two recent draft picks from the last two drafts. Uh, 2022 second round pick, Topias Lainonen, notably not at World Juniors. And you already mentioned Ratzlaff is there. So I wanted to get your thoughts on both of them. Uh, with Lainonen, I was wondering if you think uh, his absence from being on Finland is mostly injury related. And if that's been his biggest issue 
and how he projects, you know, knowing that it's everything that's gone on the last 18 months since he was drafted. And then also you mentioned Radslav being kind of a uh, getting there as a backup and hopefully being the starter next year. So do you see him as a, or I guess, how do you see his trajectory right now? Yeah, I think so with the finish kid with Lanin, and I think that you're looking at, I mean, well, like you, you get a lot of this on social media where fans, you know, kind of hate the draft pick now in retrospect. Um, but if you go back to the point in time when they made the pick, they had Portillo. I think they knew they kind of had a feeling that Portillo was going to do what Portillo did. And they didn't fully know what they had in Devin Levi at that time. Um, so I think there's, there's, some things there where they, they needed depth and they took the best goalie in the draft. With that said, he's had a bumpy road since being drafted. Um, that injury. So I, I think to answer your question, point blank, why he's not on Finland's team, it's a combination of both, but it's really the injury more so. I mean, he had a, I think it was a heel fracture that he suffered in the spring, kept him off the ice all summer. He wasn't on the ice at development camp. He missed the world junior summer showcase where when Finland comes over to Michigan and they do their, their summer camp, they had an under 25 nations that he had to skip because he was still, because his injury flared up again in the fall, kept him off the ice for a significant chunk of time. And when he got back, he played, uh, he's only had four games of action since coming back from his injury. If you're Finland's decision makers and you're trying to win a medal, it's an important tournament for them, the under 20 event. You know, they would have been taking a chance, I think, on putting Lanin in there, even though he's one of the most decorated and, and hyped goaltenders in his age group. They just didn't see enough of them to evaluate him and put him on that roster. With that said, though, um, you know, he needs to really step up uh, this year. They needed him in those four games that he did play. One, he looked pretty good. That was at the under-20 level. That was his first game back. And then spent a little uneven. Um, so performance-wise, it's not like he went out and said, hey, even though I've only played four times, I'm showing you that I'm the best under-20 goalie that you have. He didn't do that. But the injury was the biggest factor for me. And But here's the other thing, too. He's got runway, man. Goalies take time. He's still talented. I think my biggest thing with Lane and moving forward is Improve your fitness. He's a big kid. He carries a lot of weight. Um, and that'll make him quicker. It'll make him sharper. And he'll rehab from his next injury quicker, in theory. I just, you know, he, he's got to start taking it. I'm not saying I have the insight into his life <laughs> where, like, he, I'm saying he's not taking things seriously or whatever. You just want to make sure that he is. Sleep habits. putting. You know, that's what I like about him playing professionally. He's around adults. You yep. know what I mean? He's not yep. hanging out with the... The under 20s, you know, playing Xbox till 4 a.m., Call of Duty or whatever. Maybe it is. I doubt it though. But, you know, that's going to help him get back on track. And, and I think, you know, he's got time. So let's just kind of give him room to breathe, even though maybe he's a little, he's not meeting the expectations of uh, being a second round draft pick and the first goalie in his class taken. Ratzlaff, I think, is a good prospect. Um, he's a goofy kid in a good way. Goalies are goofy in general, but he's from a small town. He's got a lot to learn about being in the the spotlight. That's what I like about him being on, on this, you know, he's under a microscope right now, even though he's a third goalie for Canada, you know, it's like the biggest team he can play on in his life, you know, being from Canada. Um, he's a little different 
you know, he's very well put together. Like when you look at goaltenders, you want to see their body move as one. You say that a lot and he does that. He doesn't overplay pucks. Um, we saw him at the prospects challenge where that first game, he was kind of unsure of himself. Pucks were hit. They weren't sticking to him, but then he got it under control, but he keeps himself in plays. He doesn't scramble a lot. He's not all over the place. So I think from a uh, goaltending mechanics, body control, I like where his game's going. And that's good because he's drafted out of CHL. You know, they got this year and next to make a decision on him. <laughs> you know, it's not yeah. like Lane. And like I was saying with Lane, you get four years with him and they're going to use all four. Ratzlaff looks good mechanically and I feel good about his game. I think he's going to be a really good uh, junior goalie next year. And he already is a good junior goalie, but I think next year he's going to be really good. Very nice to have that additional depth in that we, as we all know, that is definitely huge. And you really don't know how the trajectory of these guys are going to go. As we all know, goalies are voodoo, but Chris, I want to go back to the 2022 first round class. As we mentioned before, three of those guys are currently the three first round picks. I should say are all participating for the respective nations and Matt Savoy, Yuri Kulik and Noah Osland. With Savoy and Kulik being in North America now, they both have had the opportunity to be a bit easier to watch for many pretty, you know, devoted Sabres fans. Not as easy, obviously, catching Ostland. And having them over here in North America, I mean, we've seen the, you know, the historical pace that Kulik has been scoring on for his age uh, in the AHL and how good he's looked, how his game has continued to develop. Uh, Savoy, obviously he had a, a slow start to the, to last season, ended up really picking it up once the calendar turned and had a good run for, uh, for Winnipeg in the playoffs there. He ends up having that unfortunate injury in the summer here. So it kind of hurts his chances with really maybe being the first of the, the younger guys to get a shot at making the roster, which I think also that injury kind of helped pave the way for Zach Benson, which we will also get to in a little bit. Uh, and Osland, you know, I think that coming out of that draft, that initial, you know, his, his D plus one year that because of him playing overseas, not really being able to stick in the SHL. And then obviously with how good Savoy and Kulik looked down the stretch, I think Austin maybe got separated from the pack a little bit has really turned things around though. In the time since I know he's had a, a strong start to the year this year, he's obviously playing a huge role for this Sweden team. So I, I'm just curious your thoughts on those three and really not so much how they, they project or anything like that, but in terms of their organizational ranking, you know, where do those three guys stand for you? And as the Sabres are now in this place of, you know, having their core by and large assembled or, or close to being assembled, you know, a lot of people, myself and Taylor included, are talking about, well, you have all of these kind of blue chip pieces here. Not everybody's going to be able to make the roster of all of the first and second rounders that are outside the NHL right now. Is there an opportunity to potentially move one of those guys? And I guess just your general mindset when it comes to that. Yeah. I mean, they're already too young, the Sabres, and that's a contributing mm -hmm. factor to the, maybe some of the struggles they've had this year, you know, and that's another reason why I think they're apprehensive to maybe just make a decision to call a Yuri Kulik up if they thought he was ready. Like how much younger do you want to be, <laughs> you know, right. but, um, no, they're all currency. Um, those three that you mentioned, you know, Isak Rosane's currency, Sevalad Komarov is currency. They're all currency. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out. I mean, when you look at those three, though, the triplets from that draft class, you know, Savoy um, is a firecracker. I think that he's a really smart, competitive player that, yeah, he's, he's putting up crazy amount of points. 
in the Western League right now. I think, you know, going into World Juniors, I think he was second in points per game uh, in the entire Canadian Junior League. You know, Jordan Dumais is a teammate in Team Canada right now. Let's nudged him out by like half a point. But, um, you know, but a guy like that's going to have value because you want to play fast. Sabres talk about playing fast. A guy like Savoy is going to help you do that. Noah Oslin, same thing. It's going to help you play fast. The biggest thing that you notice about Oslin is his pace of play. And I think the biggest thing with him that's going to allow him to make a pretty smooth transition is that both Oslin and Savoy, they both think really fast. And hockey people say that a lot, okay? But when you're not the biggest guy and you move up to the AHL and everything's just happening faster, playing fast is going to help you make that transition as you become stronger because you're going to need time to, to add bulk and add strength and mass. Um, those guys, their brains are going to help them make that transition. We already saw it with Savoy. When Savoy was down in the AHL, he looked great on that line with Rosane and Kulik. Um, so, but it's all competition. You know, these are just two guys that are going to create competition, not only amongst themselves, but for the other guys on the roster. Um, Kulik is a little bit of a different guy. I don't, I'm not going to sit here and say Kulik plays fast, but he's just got a little bit more of a, a style to him. That's just, it's a straight ahead game that you need some of that too. You're not going to have all these buzz saws you know, that are out there, you know, water bugs moving fast, thinking fast. You need a guy like Savoy or uh, like Kulik that's just a little more, he's not overly aggressive, but he has a little bit more of an in-your-face style compared to some of his peers anyways that we're talking about. And, you know, obviously he's got the shot, you know, and, and scoring goals is a hell of a trade. I mean, it's kept guys like Patrick Laine and, you know, all these other guys gainfully employed, making big money. Um, they have nice pieces there. Where they slot, I don't know, man. You know, because I, I, it's a good problem to have. I like having competition and figuring it out. But at some point, maybe, a, you know, look, if this Sabres team rips off, heaven forbid, let's just start with a three-game winning streak. You know what I mean? Like, like, I know, right? Let's not get crazy. But, I mean, we'll talk about the Sabres, okay? But, like, I know it looks really bad on paper, but, like, if they win five or six and out of eight, all of a sudden, like, the, things are looking a lot better. <laughs> and you know, you might start to see moves made for the, the, not only, you know, they're, they're never going to shop for rentals, but I think you might start to see them use some of their prospects to add more experience to the roster. And I know Kevin Adams said that like last year, Kulik was untouchable. I think he was talking about on at the deadline, Kulik was untouchable. I don't think any of these guys are untouchable. Mm. Not one guy is untouchable. I'm sorry. I just, I don't, that's how you fall into the trap of, um, you know, holding on to your prospects for too long and then you don't treat them as currency. So I'm not saying trade Yuri Kulik. <laughs> okay. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying like, leave, leave every opportunity open uh, to make your team better. Cause that's what it's all about. You're trying to win a Stanley cup. You're not trying to amass the best prospect talent. And if you yeah. were just to, as a quick follow-up to that, if you were Kevin Adams, which of those three would you feel the most inclined to want to move in a trade, taking into account not only what their long-term value may be and who you'd want to keep around versus who you feel is a little bit, maybe, you know, like a little bit more expendable, but also what their perceived value is around the league. That's a hard question yeah. to answer. I mean, cause I mean, <laughs> every trade has to hurt a little and move in, any of those three, like if we just talk about the 2022 guys, is going to hurt a little. So it's it's a hard question to answer. Um, 
you know, like I think it's always easier and it's, it's kind of funny to say this right now. Cause actually I think the situation's flip-flopped in Buffalo. You know, we went for years in, in Buffalo trying to figure out where you're going to find centermen. Now it looks like you have a couple decent centermen and you have a couple waiting in the wings and you need some wingers. Mm-hmm. You're like, I, you know, I need another winger here. Um, with that said, you know, Savoy's natural position is a centerman. He's been playing wing in junior. He's playing wing at the world juniors right now. Um, Kulik is playing wing in world juniors. I'm sorry. Yeah. Wing in world juniors. And he's playing center in Rochester. You know, the only guy that you really know you have it positionally is Oslin. Right. He's a centerman. Um, who would I move if I had to choose one? I mean, I can, I, can I get back to you on that one? Yeah. yeah well, I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I don't know who I would move on to say I, I, I might move, um, no, nah, I'm not going to answer the question. I'm not going to. We'll have you back at the end of the season, and we'll revisit then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's hard. I mean, it would hurt. It would hurt losing any of those guys, honestly, because they're, sure. they're going. They each bring a lot of value. Um, I think. I think the fan. I can speak for the fans. I think fans think that like Savoy is like the guy you move, and I disagree with that. Really, you get that sense? That. Oh wow! I feel I like do. Oslin is do. the one. Yeah. Well, no. Yeah. No, because I think if you can project Oslin to add mass again, he's got to get a little mm. bigger, okay? Because mm-hmm. he's had some injury woes since being drafted. But some of the injuries aren't because he's small. Like the guy got hit in the face with a puck last year, got hit in the face again this year in warmups. I mean, I'm not really going to put that on him and being yeah, put like, a cage on that man. Slight. Yeah, <laughs> and, he, and he did. He had the birdcage on uh, for that last couple of games there he played. But um, no, I – it's such a tired. Yeah, I'm not going to sure. belabor it. I can't. I wasn't. I can't answer that question right now. That's totally fair, Taylor. I actually, yeah, I agree that that's tough because I think part of it is what's the trade? Because if a trade came up, I can't even think of someone who would become available. But it was like someone that would be could be a a winger that would be on your top line or a defenseman that could be, or just someone that's like a. This is one of the biggest moves in the NHL. You obviously like to your point. Yeah, you'd have to put Kulik on the table. You can't just say no to that like it'd have to be a consideration but obviously uh you wouldn't want to move him into trade for like a guy who is an expiring contract uh that might may or may not be in your top six but i also think it's tough the example i always use is a baseball one i don't know if you're a baseball fan at all but about 10 years ago the royals were in a bad way they traded will myers who was their top prospect and i think was the top prospect in baseball for a really short-term it was like James Shields on a two-year contract, and then a throw-in that ended up being way more uh, impactful was Wade Davis as a reliever, who ended up having two of the best seasons ever. And they won the World Series a couple of years later. And meanwhile, Will Myers was nowhere near as good of a prospect. And yeah, I, I was like, think... "Who?" When you said his name, I was like, "Who?" Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like he's—I <laughs> think he's still in the MLB. He ended up getting traded a couple of times. He was like on the Padres. He like, and I don't think that was just them crossing the fingers, like, "Oh, I hope this guy doesn't end up being as good as they say." Get him out of here. I think it was more like we know him better than anyone and we know before anyone that he's not as good as people think he is. And he's more of a just average MLB player. And I think that's something that sometimes only people inside the organization know uh, which prospect is a little bit overrated. And I think sometimes it's helpful to know that and trade them within that six month period before everyone else finds out. So I think that's tough though, because no one like us can actually answer that question because we really don't know before the team knows. That's what makes it hard. I think all three of those players, and again, just focusing on those three. Yeah. Okay. I think they all have a future in the NHL and they all have value to an NHL lineup 
it's a matter of, you know, again, <laughs> I don't think there's any, um, you know, some of it comes down to chemistry, like we talked about earlier. You know, if a guy just can't develop chemistry with some of your better players and he's a high-end talent, then that's the guy you move. I don't see any bad attitudes here. These are three players that take it seriously. They want to succeed. Um, so again, it, it's such a hard thing. I think that, but the biggest thing is that to me, they're all on the table if you can make your NHL team better. Totally. Yeah. You know what well, I mean? And a, I think that's the important note. That's, I guess, what, what I was yeah. kind of wondering about that is if not only if there was somebody that maybe stood out, but on the inverse of that, if there's anybody that's just kind of like, you know what? I really think that this is going to be like a legit player here. And I don't want to run the risk of doing that. But again, to your point, it's obviously great for us to have this wealth of prospects and this wealth of talent. And not only just having it in terms of the, the, the quantity, but the quality of it, you know, like the three players that we're talking about here, and this is just three of them, but Ostland, Savoy and, and Kulik all profile as very different NHL players as you kind of lined out their, their skill sets there. And so it is kind of an interesting thing that, you know, on the one hand, it's like, oh, it's kind of tough to say which of these three that you'd be most inclined to move. But is there anybody of the three? Not that it's like a, a definitive thing, but of those three, Chris, is there anybody that it's like, you know what? Like, I really believe in the player. I really think that the trajectory is there. I think that the high end upside is there and like, they're just going to hit. Well, I think, I mean, Oslin's the guy actually, because he's so really? complete. Yeah, he's complete, man. I mean, yeah. um, it, but it comes with the the caveat. He's got to continue to develop physically. You know, he's not tiny, okay, but he's he's just he needs muscle. He's got every other part of his game. He's worked on his shooting and it's continues to get better. You can see the release on his on his shot now. It's it's light and day from where he was two years ago. I remember watching him in the under 18 since the first thing you said, like, oh, he just needs to add a little more mustard, a little mm -hmm. more pop to his shot. Now that puck flies off his stick. Defensively, he's excellent. So, I mean, you see traits of, you know, people want to say like Sebastian Ajo with him. I, I see a little bit more like a player that I was in love with back in 2013. I'm dating myself. I know like Elias Lindholm, like defensively mm. competent mm. and can really move that puck around the offensive zone, play with pace. He does it all. A guy like that. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's not Oslin for me. If the, like if, if fans want to say that, cause he's out of sight, out of mind, that's, I get it. Right. Cause you, they, you don't know what you don't know, but he's really like even if he's your third line guy oh yeah that's crazy good to have you know on your roster so he's pretty complete you know again that's what makes it hard to answer that question yeah we're sitting here we're like, we're like 10 minutes on this question man and i still <laughs> am nowhere near the answer from where i was the minute you asked because like with savoy you just look at it dynamite competitive and he adds so much pace to you and he's he, he does back check you know what i mean but not like oslin Right. You know? Aslan's a true centerman, man. Like he embraces playing the position. I love his game. Give me 15 pounds. Mm. And then I'll say, there's your guy. There's your surefire guy. That's really great insight. I have just like another, I'll do like a set the timer for like 45 seconds. I'll give you like oh. Wahlberg. We should talk about Wahlberg real quick. Right? I was going to Wahlberg, yeah. he turned eight. So he was 17 when he was drafted. Okay. So he's six, three, about 195 pounds. He could play center. He could play wing. And he's another guy that is, it's been hard to keep him down the lineup on his Swedish hockey league team. He's been playing second line all year. He's 18 years old. He turned 18 at development camp. So like, he's still like this, like still figuring it out, you know, as a human. Okay. He's 18 and a half years old. He's going to be a guy, I think 
that is going to be in Rochester next year. And I think he's excellent, versatile. You think about teams, like look at what the Sabres are missing right now. That's kind of why I'm stuck on Hoslin, by the way. It's like defensive zone acumen from your forwards. Yeah. If Hoslin can get it, man, he makes you better. Wahlberg, think about, are the Sabres hard to play against? I don't think they're very no. hard to play against. No. I think Wahlberg projects as a guy that's going to be very hard to play against. Not just because he's like this massive specimen. He's not the biggest guy, but he looks big and he play. Mm-hmm. he can play big and he's going to play bigger, but he back checks, man, like a truck. And once he starts hitting more, you know, it's same thing. Like once Owen power starts hitting more, the whole defense for the Sabres is going to change. And he will, he will, he's not going to blow guys up, but he's right. going to figure out how to use his body and become more physical. It'll happen naturally. Wahlberg's the guy that I want to just put on the radar for fans that I think you're going to see him in Rochester next year. He's going to be really young and raw, but he is really talented and he gets it. He gets when, how to play in all three zones of the ice. When he was drafted too, I know that there was a little bit of back and forth as to whether he would be best suited on the wing or at center. Do you have a sense of where you would like to see him or where his skill set would be best used? I like him on the wing right now. That's where I've seen him a lot this year. Um, I just think it simplifies his life as a young player. I mean, could he develop into a center? Like, I, I think it's nice having a guy that you know can play center if you need him to. It's a hell of a lot harder moving a guy off the wing to play center. Any guy can go out and play a wing. You know what I mean? But I think that that's where having that size, I mean, look, is would I love to have a another, you know, 6'3 plus centerman on this team? Of course. Of course, but I like him on the wing right now. I like him on the wing. I think he's um, he plays an important role there. And I think if I look at the Sabres wingers right now, Benson, little like you're going to need that mix. I think you're going to want that big guy out there, especially if Benson's going to be profiling to play in your top six. Maybe Savoy pops up there at some point. You know, he's 5'10 on a good day. Um, you need that guy that will length too. Because the biggest thing about Wahlberg is he's so disruptive with that reach and that length. That's good to have in the middle of the ice, but you want that skill set, I think, out on the wings too. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, so want to get to a word from our sponsor real quick, but before we do, do you have a pick for who is ultimately going to win gold at this World Juniors? I want the, I, I want the USA to win. I'm, I'm the biggest USA hockey honk that there is. But um, no, I think USA is going to have, I think because I have the goaltending, um, goaltending will make or break whoever wins this tournament. Um, Sweden's got a smaller goaltender, Hugo Havlid, who just shows up internationally. I think Sweden is going to have, uh, they have a lot of juice. I think they're a good, I think they're a really strong team. I'd love to see a Sweden USA gold medal game with USA coming out on top. That's what I, and I could, and I could reasonably see it. it's not what I want. I can see it happening. Okay. Mm. All right. So let's hear a word from our sponsor real quick. This episode is brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. So Thursday night, you're listening to this episode. We have a Edmonton-San Jose game. Edmonton has been red hot. San Jose has been better, but, you know, better than they were in October. It's still not good. Uh, DraftKings sees that as a huge advantage for Edmonton. Minus 310 on the money line right now. So if you're interested in that or any other NHL game, you can find them at downloading DraftKings Sportsbook app now and using the promo code THPN for the Hockey Podcast Network. New customers can get 150 bucks instantly in bonus bets for betting just $5 on hockey. That's code THPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. The crown is yours. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. 
gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 and over, but age will vary by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. cdkng.com slash hockey for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. NHL and the NHL show the registered trademarks of the National Hockey League. Copyright NHL 2023. All rights reserved. All right, we're back. Should we move on to uh, the current Sabres, the young fellas and the current Sabres? What do you think? Let's do that. Absolutely, yeah. All right, let's start with uh, Benson, I guess, then. First round pick. Uh, people didn't expect him to fall out of the top 10. He did, and he immediately proved those people who didn't expect to see him fall to the top 10 correct and looking good basically every step of the way, made the team, blew right past his nine-game sample before, you know, it's, he's in his entry-level contract now and seemingly no real complaints from people. So I guess the first thing I want to ask is, are you surprised at all that he was able to become a established NHL player at 18, even as someone who liked him? Did you expect that or – I think we're always, <laughs> I think we're always surprised. I think when it happens, you know, um, but no, I mean, being familiar with the player, I mean, he's just incredibly smart, you know, I mean, that's what, I, you know, I, I know it's like, it's almost cliche at this point to say that when you're talking about Benson, but it's the truth. And you really didn't know how smart he was until you saw him playing against the best players in the world. And like, it was, there was a game in preseason and you're like, holy shit, man, this kid like just blends right in and he gets it. And he's like, it's refreshing to see a smaller guy that can outthink six, seven year vets. And it gives you a lot of hope too. Like he's scratching the surface, you know, he's going to keep getting better, which is crazy. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's always surprising, I think. To see a young guy just come in and do is he kind of bedard? No, of course not. You know what I mean? Did he get an opportunity that was supposed to be Matthew Savoy's? Yeah, 100, <laughs> 100. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think it's great. I love him on that line with Middlestad and Greenway. I think that's probably where uh, we should expect to see him for a little bit here, as long as Casey Middlestad's a saber. Wow, that that's another whole question in <laughs> of itself there uh well with benson too I, we obviously we're going to get to levi after but with benson one of the things that you know was really at the top of this bill for the player that we were getting obviously we know about the offensive side of the game and, and the playmaking ability but his defensive instincts and his defensive impact and even in the early goings of this season you know not even halfway through the season yet you really have started to see that shine more and more. You know, it's little things, whether it's just like defensive awareness and knowing, you know, when he has to, you know, make sure obviously that he's out of his point then, but also knowing the times when it's appropriate for him to kind of creep in a little bit more to help out the defense. His, his uh, stick work, I think, is another thing that's been very, very impressive. He, you know, is a much better defensive player than Jeff Skinner, but I think that they both kind of, he has a similar trait to him in that he's just very good with disrupting plays with a stick, whether it's stick checking, getting in passing lanes, what have you. So, uh, you know, as far as Benson goes, Chris, can you talk a little bit more about how, you know, an 18 year old applying that level of a, a defensive game at this point, how that's going to ultimately impact his development in the long haul? Well, he's going to get more minutes. He's going to get more opportunities to play with better players if he's showing the coaching staff, regardless of who's behind the bench, like that he can be put out there in any situation, defensive zone draws late in the games, protecting a one-goal lead. Like it's going to make him better. He's going to see more situations 
Benson, it's we mentioned his brain and his smarts, but when you combine that with effort, like crazy effort, it's a pretty serious combination to have in a hockey player. It doesn't matter if you're five, five or six, five, you know what I mean? And um, that's how he's getting by right now. So, and it also helps that he's got really good hands. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that first goal that he scored was stupid, like absolutely stupid. Right. But like, it also looked like so natural and how calm and cool he was doing it. But I mean, so, so we talked about his brain. We talked about his just dogged work ethic. He's nonstop moving. He's relentless. He doesn't give up on a play and he's got crazy skill. It's pretty wild that he went where he did in the draft. Right. In retrospect, but no, that's like, maybe he's the untouchable. Mm. Maybe he's the untouchable young guy. I think that's fair. I, Given how things have shaken out, I think that that's very fair. I mean, he, I think, has definitely asserted himself among the rest of the pack, you know, in terms of the guy, the guys who've been drafted, even, you know, go back last two, three drafts. Uh, I think that he's pretty much at top of the list at this point with just how he's been able to very comfortably hack it at this level. Obviously, there's growing pains there, as you would expect with an 18-year-old, and he's just going to get better, and there's, there'll be ups and downs along the way. But, yeah, I... I I cannot see any kind of a scenario that they would move him at this point with just how well the start of the season has gone. And speaking of guys that probably also apply here, unless you had anything else on Benson. Well, no, I was going to say that you mentioned the stick and I think that was important that you mentioned that because that's how he has to get by right now. Cause he's not Mm going to out muscle guys. So he's going to try to outthink them. He's going to use his stick. That's what's leading to like, he takes penalties because his stick is so active. Yeah. Trips slashes, you know, he's going, but he's, but nine times out of 10, he's going to get the stick lift. He's going to strip the puck. You know, it's worth taking that one penalty out of every 10. But you'll start to see, I think, fewer of those as he gets stronger and he can start to use his body more. He's still going to use a stick, but he'll be able to nudge guys a little bit more because you see at the junior level, you saw it in preseason, shoulders a guy off the puck, steals the puck from him, goes down. As he gets strong, you got to remember, he's still a kid, man. Mm-hmm. You know, and think of all these players that you see on the Sabres now. Tage Thompson, Casey Middlestack, go back, Reiner. Look at them now and look at them when they were 18. You see the physical difference, neck, body. Think about Benson in five, six years. We lose sight of that a lot, you know? But that's why it's like crazy impressive what he's doing right now because he's not fully there in his physical maturation yet, man. Like that's just a whole other layer that we haven't even thought of with him. Very exciting for what the future can hold for him. Uh, To switch gears to the net, Devin Levi has been excellent since he was called back up after a very, very brief stint in Rochester. So the the conversation with him, Chris, as we all know, it's, you know, do you keep him up the rest of the year? Do you keep riding him for as well as he's been playing lately? And then once you start to see a dip, then maybe you send him back down or, you know, is it that you send him down, get him as many starts as you can in Rochester? So, you know, just as we're coming off of last year where he has the seven-game stint, he looks great. The Sabres, I don't think, necessarily put him in a very good position to succeed by not trying to upgrade the goaltending position and just rolling this year with him, UPL, and Comrie. Um, you know, that's a whole other conversation. is more on Kevin Adams than anything else. But just relative to what we've seen this year from Devin Levi, Chris, I mean, how do you feel about, you know, where he's at right now, how they've handled him and how he should be handled the rest of the way for this season. He's winning games. Keep him up. I think sending him down as short as it was, it was good to let him know that it can't happen because for coming into the season, for whatever reason, it was almost like 
he was anointed full-time NHL status. And the thought of him going down to Rochester just didn't even enter the front office's mind. I think it was a big step for them when they sat him down and sent him down. And it was a, and just, it was good. It reset things. He was great. in Rochester came back up and he's been pretty good. I don't think, I don't necessarily think that he played himself out of an NHL job before he was sent down. I really don't. I mean, he had some bad luck. Was he great? No. Was anybody else that they had better? Not really. Not until that real short stretch where, where Lukanen said, okay, this is going to be my job for now. Right. Whole two weeks. <laughs> so, you know, if you're going to go out and you get like a Jake Allen or someone like that, then you can comfortably send Levi down and let him play a ton. But for now, if he's winning games and they have the decision to make, I think, right? Like, don't they have a decision to make on a roster spot here? Yep. Like pretty soon. Yeah, they will. Yeah. Cause Gergensen's is coming. Gergens is coming back. Right. Are you sending, are you going to take the easy way out if you're the Sabres and send Levi down because he can go down freely? Or are you going to say, you know what? We've had enough of this three goalie thing and Comrie, you're the odd man out just like they did with Brayson. They sent the, they sent a veteran down. I have a hard time thinking um, anybody would pick up Comrie. I mean, maybe I'm no. being a little bit short-sighted in that, but I don't think there's a they whole lot of risk there. No, I don't think so. So I think like, like right now, if they're not for me personally, I mean, I think Levi stays up cause he's going to help you win games. It's simple as that. I hate to say it. Um, and again, in the back of his mind, I think they did a huge thing just mentally even if it was for a week, just sending them down to speak, to let everyone know it can happen. Mm -hmm. It's such a little thing, but I think it goes a long way. It's a great point mentioning to the, <laughs> the fact about the front office that being a step for them, because I think that's something that they're, I don't know if I want to go as far to say grappling with, but I think that they're, I don't want to say a little too concerned about doing right by guys, so to speak. But at the end of the day, there's been, a handful of pretty fair roster questions that, you know, we've asked this year that everybody's asking, you know, when it comes to deployment, when it comes to who is getting opportunities on call-ups, who's sitting, what have you. And so, you know, for them, I, I think that just being able to do that, that's a great point that as much as it was maybe something, you know, symbolic for him of like, Hey, you know, this can get taken from you for right now. Like we got to do what's right by you. I think at the same time, them at least showing some initiative, I guess is, is at least a good thing. If, if Lukanen's last five starts, if he had a, a 2.0 goals against average and 93 save percentage, it might be a different story right now, but he hasn't mm -hmm. lately. Like you need Levi right now. He hasn't even had a 900. That's what I mean. Like, yeah. like who, like who the hell is going to stop the puck? If you send Levi down, yeah. I mean, give him the chance. Um, every goalie has goals that they want back. You know, like, cause you can go back through Levi's last starts and I don't want anyone to think like we're, we're sitting here saying that Levi has been awesome. No, he's let in a couple bad goals, but I don't think he's really hurting you by being up here. And it's not like the Sabres have gone out to get a veteran or get another guy to, to pair with UPL to allow you in the best conscience and the best interest of your team to send Levi down. That's how it happens. He's here in my eyes. Yeah. So I just wanted quickly to ask one more thing about Zach Benson. I just thought of this, but you know, with I'm sure in the future, there will be quite a few of the, the teams that passed on and being like, damn, I can't believe we took guy X over Benson. 
that's pretty rare to think within like, I guess the draft was less than six months ago that most teams are still going to be high on their prospects. They haven't even seen them at the NHL level yet. But do you think there's anyone out there right now who is already kind of like, ah, damn, we really should have, we screwed this one up. We should have taken Benson. It's so funny um, because like the draft was only what, six months ago. And I'm like having a hard time even remembering who the like first couple of picks were. Um, No, you know, obviously the ones that happened at the time were the Arizona picks. I think those are the ones that everyone's going to look at because, you know, I liked Simishev a lot. He went a hell of a lot higher though. Like I had a hard time as much as I liked the player. I was like, I don't know if I, I don't know if, if I'm uh if I can take him if I'm Buffalo, you know, where they had their pick, you know, and then Arizona goes out and takes him six. Yeah. <laughs> like that. And he looks good, by the way, I've seen him play in the KHL a couple times this year. Simishev looks fine, but that that's the obvious one to me. You know, but I mean, we always say wait five years before you talk about a draft class and kind of who won, who lost, who, you know, who shit themselves. And like, we're nowhere close to that. You know what I mean? Yeah, so true. we'll see. I, I'm not trying to get you guys a parental advisory on your Apple page either. Sorry. <laughs> no, we've uh, free reign. We, we, all right, good. We're, we're listed as explicit on all of our podcasts. All right, good. All right. All Cause it's my week off, man. Oh, you know, it's so. Chris, let it rip then, man. All Come right, on. Good. All right. All right. Let it rip, Tater Chip. All right. Well, so just, I guess one last thing on the Sabres too, that I wanted to just throw out there, you know, one of the things that Granado has really been able to hang his hat on is how he has been able to help turn around the careers of a few guys really help with their development, putting them in positions to succeed, what have you it going back to my point I made previously though, there also has been some head scratching decisions this year specifically that I don't necessarily think that he's been I don't want to say like held accountable enough for, but there's been some really head scratching decisions, I think. And you had mentioned in your uh, response to, I think two questions ago had used the, the wording or something along the lines of like, or whoever will be coaching him. So just given how young this Sabres team is given the influx of young talent coming up through the pipeline right now, what's your, your sense on Granado? And do you feel as though, he is not only the the appropriate coach for like the moment right now, as they're getting ready to take this step into being a legitimate playoff team, or at least they're, they're building towards that way, you know, kind of coupling that with him being able to still have the ability to cultivate some of the youth and, and help these guys grow and improve their games. Do you think Granado is the guy for that? Or do you think that maybe it's best for the Sabres as an organization to look elsewhere if, this season ends up falling flat and they don't make the playoffs. Yeah. I think it's after the season at this point, I don't think they're yeah. going to make a mid season change. I of think, um, yeah. and we'll find out here, you know, like in the next couple, I think it's on the table. Like I do a, a podcast when Matthew Fairburn's working, he he's off right now, but we, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago where I said, look, I think Granado for the first time in his tenure is on watch. Now that's me saying that who's probably the most patient guy in the world with coaches, with players, you know what I mean? Like I'm always just saying the players got to figure it out. Um, Granado should get credit for a lot of things, you know, like I think like making the penalty kill better when he put Tage out there. Now I know Tage is like busted his hand or whatever, because he was out on the penalty kill because he doesn't know how to block a damn shot. You're going to put that on the coach. You're going to put that on the player. I put it on a player uh, for not knowing, you know, don't, don't leave your, your glove out there, you know? Um, sure. But with that said, you know, what the, the thing that kind of gave me pause was when the fans did the chant to fire Granado, fire Donnie, I think it was the chant. And then the players reacted and took accountability for their play. They came out and played pretty what? They've only played two games since then, right? One was a win, the Toronto win. 
Yeah. Yeah. Cause that, it was, it was a Columbus yep. game. Yeah. Yep. yeah. So they came out and they Boy, absolutely <laughs> stomp. They stomped Toronto and then they played a good game against the Rangers. I think the next five games are going to tell us a lot about the whole Granado dynamic and this group. Honestly. Definitely. Um, and if it doesn't like, and I think that the next five games are going to tell us if he's the guy that they're going to have to make a decision at the end of the year. It sounds crazy. But if they went home and had eggnog and Christmas cookies for three days and forgot what happened and how embarrassed they were in that arena when the, and they don't come back and play for their coach, then it tells you something that Kevin Adams has to do one of two things, make a decision on the coach, maybe sooner, <laughs> even though he doesn't want to. Yep. Or you really want to shake the group up, you get rid of a guy that everyone likes. You make a trade and you you move out one of their boys. And I'm not talking about trading Victor Olofsson or something like that. I'm talking about you you take a player that has value in the league that's having a really good year that might price himself out if he keeps having a good year. You know, I'm not I don't have a target on Middlestad. I love Middlestad. I'm just mm-hmm. saying he's the guy that might make the most sense that a month ago no one wanted to talk about. And people may still not want to talk about moving him because he's that valuable to your team. But you're, if you're not winning anything with them and you need to shake the group up and you think that he's going to have value somewhere else, you can get a pretty good return for him. I'm talking, I'm making the call. I'm having yep. conversations about that player. I'm sorry. We had, I'm not trying to trade Casey Middlestad. Trust me. I'm not. We, we had this exact, con- I'm glad you're bringing this yeah. up. We had this exact conversation two episodes ago where it, it's really focused around your point there, which we kind of said, like, you know, you, you've given out the extensions to Power and Darlene, to Tage, Cousins, Samuelson, all these guys. And at the time of them signing the contracts, obviously it's all worth it. But you do have to ask the question, though, are you going to keep handing out longer term deals when the core that's in place right now hasn't? done anything yet they haven't won at all and granted it's early and everything like that um but you know adams has been here for over three years granado has been behind the bench now for going on over three years and with middle stat yeah i mean are, are you going to not only commit to that for the the premise of you know the this the fact that they haven't won anything yet or done anything but also oh, like like savoy kulik Rosean, who we haven't even gotten to yet. Mm-hmm. Osland is a couple years out. Wahlberg being a couple years out. Wanting, you know, increased roles for for Benson down the line. You know, Quinn and Paterka have obviously been great. Where's Middlestad in the long term going to kind of fit in there? And so if you're you're looking out, and obviously there's a piece that has value there, but if this is a guy that you don't really know, like even next year or the year beyond that, like where his role is going to be or how it's going to fit. Is that something that you really want to sign up for as compared to maybe moving him at a time where it's, you're going to get, you know, he's going to be an RFA at the end of this year. A team will have him for a stretch run for the playoffs here. If that's something that they ultimately end up wanting Mm -hmm. to do. And if that's on the table, I mean, I, I think you're right, Chris, that you got to think long and hard about that because as much as playoffs are are paramount this year, you also have to think about the bigger picture here. And with Middlestad, it's an interesting thing. You know, you don't really know, I guess, which way they're going to lean there because, again, that kind of goes back to my point before of them just being, I think, a little bit too focused on the vibes and and, and maintaining the vibes in the room and, and yeah. you know, to your point about creating somebody that's well-liked. Um, it, it's, they're, they're just, they're going to have to start making tough decisions and they were supposed to, I think, make some of them, or they should have made some this past summer. They didn't. And they, I mean, they're paying for it right now. The position that they're in is as a result of them, not 
upgrading the team in the slightest. Like you can't give yourself a pat on the back for Connor Clifton and Eric Johnson when you're rolling back the same forward group and you lucked into the forward that you took 13th overall being able to hack it as an 18 year old. Like they, they, they were underprepared coming into this year. And so I think that this, this is kind of a pivotal point for them. I mean, are you getting the same sense? Like, do you feel as though the, this past off season was a bit of a wash for them? I understand why they did it. Like, I'm surprised. I didn't see this coming the Sabres team. Like it was always in the back of their mind that they were very young and that when you watch them come out of the all-star break last year, they just couldn't manage the pressure of all of a sudden being good and being in the playoffs potentially that, and they couldn't win at home last year. The thing that worried me about this team coming into the season was they were front loaded in the schedule the first couple of weeks with home games. Mm -hmm. And you're like, okay, if they can't win these games then they're probably screwed and they didn't. You know, right. Um, I didn't see it coming though. Like you always thought it was a possibility of something you talked about as a potential scenario, but I understood why Adams was committed to the group. They missed the playoffs by a single point last year. Mm -hmm. And if you can forecast regression with teams that made the playoffs and like, you know, one point, I understand why he did it. I, I do. Um, the goaltending thing was a little ballsy. To not give, because like, I always, I just think it's an important position. But like the defense, like I, I get it, man. Like if you're gonna have, if if on the on the pretense that Matias Samuelson is gonna be healthy, and you have those three guys that were playing over, like can safely play over 23, 24 minutes, power Darlene Samuelson. I get why you brought in Eric Johnson for his experience, because you need guys that been there, done that. I don't think though that you could forecast maybe the drop off, because outside of settling the PK, which he should get credit for. For sure. He's in the beginning of the season. There's not a lot else there that he's been able to do, but his value off the ice is legitimate from like talking to people that are down there and like, he's, he's legit. So I don't know, man, I, it's tough, but like to go back to the team overall, that's why I say five games, like you're coming out of the holiday break. Like the next five games are going to tell a huge story. Because especially if you bring it back to the middle stack conversation that we were just having, you got to stay ahead of it. Yep. You're not going to wait until the trade deadline. You might have the ability to make a hockey trade the sooner that you act on it. Mm -hmm. If they come out and crap themselves in the next couple of games and they have to make a move, that's that's where I, that's why I just said five games too. I just want to be kind of clear on that. Like I'm well, not trying to trade the guy. I, I honestly, Chris, I think it even taking it a step further, I think these next 10 games are going to characterize what's going to happen with this season, because as we know, the, the biggest problem for the Sabres this year is that they have not been able to string together <laughs> win streaks. They haven't been able to win back to back games. They've only they got some winnable games year. coming up, though, man. Right. Chris, all right. The next 10 that they have, if, if they can't rip off like seven wins out of these next 10 then they're hopeless. Boston tonight. Obviously, that's going to be a tough one. You then have Columbus. Ottawa, Montreal, Pittsburgh, Seattle, Ottawa, Vancouver, and you wrap it up with San Jose and Chicago. I mean, that's got to be eight wins there, right? At least seven? Yeah. Has oh, no, totally. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Taylor, that's what I'm close. saying. They have winnable yeah. games. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you could – if they're like five and five in that, I think you could almost reasonably say the season's over in terms of playoffs. Like, that's – there's no other way around it. They have to be – a, like getting six points from 10 games or sorry, six and a half points from, per 10 games from here on out to be a 95 point team. Yeah. So if you can't start right there doing that, I don't know, but they've been really hit or miss about beating bad teams. So this, this is the moment. Well, they have a score to settle with Columbus. Yes. <laughs> like if they don't show up for that game. Yeah. 
And I think Absolutely. that tells you everything you need to know about this group. Yeah, I agree. They need to have the Columbus game last year where Tage had the hat trick. Uh, not that repeat, man. But yeah, uh, Taylor, you had another one? Yeah. So it's just uh, talking about some other guys who aren't at World Juniors but are, you know, still relevant. One is uh, Isaac Roseanne. People talk a lot about the potential bringing of Kulik. He obviously is tied to the AHL leading goals. But Roseanne's been also really good in Rochester. So what have you seen from him so far this year? And not that he would come up uh, to the Sabres this year, but do you see him as a guy that could take the step into the NHL by next season? Yeah, I think he can definitely compete and take a run at a spot, you know, fill out. You know, he doesn't have to play a big offensive role. Um, you know, I think that the eye-opener for Roseanne when he was up was at Detroit game. He had a good game there. I think he gave him confidence and you know, and then he kind of dipped back down a little bit um, after that. But I think it was good to get he and Kulik, even though Kulik only played one game. I think, what do you have, 13, 14 minutes or something like that? It was good to give him a taste, kind of like the Levi thing, to let him know that it can happen, like you can get called up, get him a little bit of a taste. Rosane, though, um, he has the luxury of playing wing, so his life is simpler. Kulik's life is a little harder because, you know, they put him, you know, last spring after World Juniors, he moved to the middle. And it forced him to play defense. It forced him to figure it out. And he's gotten much better. Rosane's always been really good defensively, though. People, I don't think, realize that. His stick is so good. Um, he's he's really good positionally. I think that that's part of what leads me to believe that he can come and take a, a solid run at a job next year. A lot depends on what Kevin Adams does with the current crop of guys that he has up there right now. Um, you know, because that's always like the unforeseen thing. But it, will he be good enough? to compete. Yeah. He wasn't ready this year. I think after this year of experience, Seth Appert, Scott, he, and so Rosane is playing on a line with uh, Kulik and Linus Weisbach when healthy, they get big minutes. They're out there in crucial situations. They're doing all, they have a lot of responsibility that they didn't have last year. So that's part of that progression. And I like him. Um, I like Rosane's game quite a bit. He's another guy. Um, he had to figure it out. You know, it took him a little while to kind of figure out that the AHL is a really good league and what he needs to do. He's going to the middle of the ice more. He's not hanging out on the outside, going to the front of the net, using his feet to make plays, keeps his feet moving, draws penalties, backs defenders off. These are all things that you talk about NHL players, what they do. That's what he's doing. So he looks good. That's good. That's good. Let, let, do you have anything? Yeah, yeah, I wanted to actually talk about uh, a few of his teammates, the three Russians that are currently in Rochester right now, that being Nikita Novikov, Alexander Kisikov, and Viktor Nuchev. Uh, Novikov, I think, was of that group, the guy that I was most excited to see this year, just because as we're talking about different kinds of players and how they kind of fit into the profile of the team, organizational needs, what have you. Novikov is a big boy. And uh, he, I think, has uh, the potential to have a really good, solid physical defensive game in his own zone. And obviously now with this being his first goal of it in the AHL, about 20 odd games or so in starting to transition a little bit more. Kisikov has been around uh, for about a year longer. He was of course with Rochester last year. Um, I, if I'm not mistaken, I don't think has had the easiest go of it instead of a, a, a bit of a, a rough go uh, thus far in his AHL career. And then Nuchev, I, Nuchev was another guy that I think that people are generally speaking pretty interested in. Third round pick, of course, um, him coming over this year. Another bigger body, goal scoring type. So, Chris, of those three guys, you want to go through and just kind of give your thoughts on each of them and where they kind of fit within the organization as of right now? Yeah, I think Novikov has a... 
he's got an NHL future. I could see, you know, think of uh, the way that kind of Samuelson gets around the defensive zone. Um, that's what you're getting with him. Physical. Um, I think his transition to the American Hockey League this year was helped by him playing in the KHL for last year and a half, two years. I think that does matter. Same thing with Noichev. We'll get to him. But no, Novikov, um, sneaky offensively, like he's been jumping up. And we, you didn't really see that. He was a guy when he played with Moscow Dynamo, he'd come from the blue line to the top of the circles to get better, you know, higher probability shots, but he was never really taking the puck deep in the corner and roving around. You're seeing that a lot more from him. And that's the style that they're coaching him to play with all the defensemen, Ryan Johnson, all these guys, Zach Metza, even though he's not under contract. So no, I think that Novikov profiles really well because of his size, mobility, and he just he's he can be pretty much a, a guy that attacks the play from the defensive zone. Kizikov, um, last year was a wash because I think you know it was an adjustment year. You weren't expecting much from him. Very skilled, had a great start to this year. I think he was a point per game player through his first five games, and he got hurt. And he's been kind of, but he was taking the step, and now he's kind of digging himself out of the injury woes that he experienced. It seems like Rochester has been a revolving door of injuries until just recently. I think they're finally healthy again down there, but Kizikov longer term um, skills there. I'm not, you know, I'm not too worried about him. I mean, he's almost like, he'd be like a lottery ticket, you know, if you can kind of get him going, um, but super skilled, I think talented, smooth. He just needs more time. He's another guy though. He needs to get stronger. You know, he came over really small. I think though his transition, his good start this year, it helps that he has two countrymen. Now go back to last year when he came over, no one like, didn't speak a lick of the language. He was working with a uh, a tutor, like a translator, learning a little bit of English. Now he's got Novikov, he's got Noichev. I think it makes it easier with him uh, this year, but longer term. The guy, though, that I think more people should be excited about is uh, Noichev. So he's another guy that had KHL experience before coming over. Um, that helped him make the transition. Got up, you know, he's still kind of figuring out the AHL, but his last 10 games, he's really earned more playing time. So he's playing on a line lately with uh, Byron Rusek. And what that does, is allowed him to use his natural gifts more, his shooting. He's a guy that can really shoot the puck. He can get into scoring position. He has guys now that can find him more. So you're seeing him get more shots on goal. You're seeing him just be more productive. Um, but he's getting more ice time, more responsibility. He's earned it. Seth Apper talks about his practice habits. Um, again, I think part of having that, KHL experience playing professionally as a young player and then coming over, you know how to prepare for practices and games as a pro you're seeing that with Noichev. So there's your kind of your capsule on those three, but I think Sabres fans shouldn't sleep on uh, Noichev. Maybe not this year, but I mean, you know, you start talking about him maybe by the tail end of his entry level contract. Chris, how about the guys that we we haven't talked about? I mean, we've gone through a, a healthy amount of the prospects here, but is there anybody that we haven't chatted about that you feel as though should also be more so on Sabres fans' radar? Anybody that within their respective leagues, whether it be in juniors here in North America or the collegiate level or overseas, that you feel as though has really taken a, a noticeable jump this year? Well, there's two other Russians that we could talk about. Since let's we talk just about the Russians. So yes. let's talk about Sev oh. Sevalot Komarov. Um, you know, he was probably like the big prize that already moved at the QMJHL trade deadline. He went from Quebec to Drummondville. Um, you know, what I think what's important to note about him is, you know, he gets a lot of offense at the junior level, 
but he's another guy that, you know, he's big six, three, he's, a, he's another guy who can play physical. Um, he's a little more lumbering though. You know, he's not, um, he's not the skater. And I, I, I don't want to sit here and say, you know, that Novikov is like the most graceful skater, but he's a better skater in my opinion than Komarov, but Komarov, they have the same mentality. They're physical. They pay a price in the defensive zone. Um, so I think that, you know, if you're just looking at stats at junior, you might think that Komarov is one thing. I don't think necessarily that Komarov is going to be a big offensive producer professionally, but he's going to be a guy that makes you better defensively. And I think that's kind of important, um, just to note. The other guy, though, is Steven Sardarian. Here's a guy that we never talk about, probably. And he's got a lot, lot of runway still ahead of him. But I wanted to mention him because he's playing second line wing right now for the University of New Hampshire. And if you look at the day that he came onto campus to where he is now, so much better. And he has a ton of skill. And when he's got the puck, he looks like a pro. Some guys just look like professional players. Sardarian has that look to him. He's not out there. He's not going to be one of these college players that gets a contract because of his effort. No, Sardarian has a great stick, super skilled. And if you think about where he can be in a year and a half, two years, they might have something there with him too. And he was a fairly high draft pick also, Sardarian was. Early day two pick. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, but again, the guy who slipped through the cracks, you know, because they're out developing. We're not talking about him every week. And I just want people to realize that uh, he's moving in a good direction, even if his numbers may not suggest it. Well, and we actually are forgetting one other Russian that I'm pretty curious to hear your thoughts about, which is Prokhor Poltapov. He is the kind of guy that I think from everything that like I've, I've seen of him clips wise, reading about him and stuff, he seems similar of a similar ilk to how the, the tenacity that he plays was kind of similar to how you were talking about Benson and, and Savoy. He doesn't necessarily have the same, you know, size issues that those guys have, but somebody that I feel like it just, it seems like he is somebody that just attacks in the offensive zone. So oh, yeah. what what are your thoughts on Poltapov and, as far as like a timeline for North America, and is this an NHL player that we might have on our hands here? Yeah, it's an NHL player. Yeah. I love him. No, I love him. Yeah, I mean, he's um, he's a guy that you'll be able to comfortably put on like a third line, but he could probably play up with your skill guys because he's got plenty of skill to him as well. But no, his um, you said it. I think the word that you said, tenacity, tenacious, that's him. He's kind of uh, rambunctious, bull in a china shop, not allergic to the net, not allergic to contact. And he plays very fast, both pace, but also he thinks the game pretty well too. You can kind of see it. He knows where to go. He's gotten a lot better too. I mean, Sergei Fedorov was a great defensive forward in the NHL, and he's worked with Poltapov a lot on how to play that side of the puck because that wasn't really what he was known for. And if he's in the past two years playing in the KHL, if he wanted to get any minutes, he had to be responsible defensively. So they put him down. You know, he's been mostly fourth line, third line, but he bounces up every now and then. But I think timeline-wise, he's under contract with Seska through the end of next season. Poltapov has said, I want to be a star in the KHL before I go to the NHL. But I think it's good to know that he's basically committing to, he wants to play in the NHL. Right. And he mentions like Kaprizov a lot. You know, he mentions Panarin as like blueprints for him as far as like guys that were like serious KHL point producers. Well, let's not get carried away, Procore. Yeah. Okay? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I think he he's, um, 
you know, he'll probably have 10 goals, 20 points this year, which is good for his age in the KHL. But, um, you know, I don't think we should be expecting him to be Panarin. I don't think he should be expecting himself to be Panarin. I think by the time he's done with his deal, he'll be ready to come over and he'll be pretty polished. He's not the biggest dude. He's like just under six foot, you know, he'll probably be about 185 ish when he gets here, but he's his mentality, man. He's an NHL player to me. Love that. Even if he's like a fourth line guy. Yeah. Nothing wrong with uh, aiming high there. I'll I'll take that. A guy that's trying to, even if he may not, his profile is not there. You know, if he's kind of setting his sights for like he wants to be at that level, that's at least the mindset of a guy that he's I a heavy skater. If that makes sense, yeah. Like, oh yeah. yeah. There's a lot of momentum when he gets moving, and like he's got some quickness to him. I like his game, man. I like his game. For sure. Well, Chris, it's been a pleasure getting to chat with you. Before we sign off here, uh, you, of course, have a podcast. You have a, a really great following and, and presence online on Twitter and whatnot. Tell everybody where they could find you online, what you got coming up in the works, and what they can look forward to from you. Yeah, you can follow me at Sabres Prospects on Twitter. Been doing it for way too long. Uh, you can follow my podcast, my prospect podcast. Uh, it's called Prospect Avenue. You can find that on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. I also do a show, a Sabres-based show, uh, with the Athletics' Matthew Fairburn. He's on a little hiatus. He just welcomed his second child, so I've been giving him a break from my bullshit. Congratulations I'll get him back here in about uh, hopefully a week and a half or so, and uh, we'll fire that up. We try to get out there once a week and just kind of talk a little bit what's happening with the Sabres and whatever else, and it's fun. That's a fun one, man, because like I do my own podcast by myself. It's hard. Mm-hmm. It's hard to sit there and do a podcast by yourself, man. Like you guys get it. You guys talk to each other. It's conversational. I love getting together with Matthew. Uh, it's fun. And, but yeah, that's where you can find me. And, and if you feel so inclined to listen to me also. Absolutely. Well, look no further than the great insight you were giving us here and then, and your past appearances as well. And we look forward to hopefully having you back soon. One other thing, Chris, before we let you off the hook here, we always like ending each of our episodes with our recommendation of the day. That could be uh, a song or an album you've been listening to, a TV show, a movie, anything like that, a book, whatever it may be. Uh, Anything you have to recommend to the people that you've been particularly into these days? I was building a Christmas playlist. I'm not a Christmas music guy by any means, but like I try to do it of my own. So I like, you know, like, like, yeah, I like old school hip hop. I like a lot of like jammy funk type of stuff. And I just want to mention, did you guys know that Snoop Dogg has a Christmas song? No way. Does he really? Well, there you go. There's my recommendation for next Christmas. (laughs) All right. I'm going to start firing it up then in preparation. (laughs) It's pretty cool actually, man. Cause Snoop's cool. Very nice. Taylor, you got anything for recommendation for today? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I, gonna, I don't think you'll be on the top. Uh, Snoop Dogg does Christmas, <laughs> but do you guys know Snoop Dogg has a Christmas movie on Netflix? Actually, what? No, no, I'm just taking it to the next level, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, I watched uh, the movie that's gotten a lot of uh, attention recently on Netflix, May December. Pretty good, it's got some Oscar buzz. Most surprising thing to me is someone who watched every episode of Riverdale that Charles Melton was in it. And he, he was unbelievable. And now people are talking about this guy winning an Oscar. It's very surprised by that, but people you recognize from it, um, Julianne Moore and uh, Natalie Portman. So good movie. I thought very interesting. It's to, to be clear, it's a pretty adult movie. It's, it's uh, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't call it like a family Christmas movie. So, you know, if you're interested before the Oscars or whatever, it's, it's worth giving a shot. 
There we go. All right. I will end with uh with a song since Chris, you were saying, you know, you like a little bit of old school hip hop. I'll go with uh, a song that came up on my shuffle the other day that one of those ones that you forget it exists. And then you hear and you're like, oh, my God, I forgot how great this is. The Seed 2.0 by The Roots. Oh, there you go. So, yeah. There you go. A little bit of Roots for you there for the like uh, Philly's finest right there. There yeah. it is. Exactly. All right. Well, Chris, again, thank you so much, everybody. Make sure you're following him on Twitter at Sabres Prospects. Make sure you're checking out both of his podcasts. Chris, we can't appreciate, uh, begin to tell you how much we appreciate it. We're looking forward to hopefully having you on again before the end of the season. Uh, and we thank everybody who's been listening to this episode of Straight Up Sabres, everybody. Make sure you're checking out both of the presenters of this podcast, both the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo on their respective websites. Whatever streaming platform you're currently using to listen to this episode, make sure you're checking out all of our fellow shows. And of course, make sure you are following the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can also find us, Straight Up Sabres. And before you close out of this app, whatever you're using to listen to this episode, make sure you're either followed or subscribed to us and leave us a nice little rating or review, as we always very much appreciate that. Last but not least, we have our wonderful sponsor, Sponsor, folks don't we love them oh boy we love them so much DraftKings sportsbook use that promo code thpn at checkout to take advantage of great deals we'll be back with a brand new episode on monday everybody ringing in the new year with our first episode of 2024 so tune in we'll be back but in the meantime enjoy the new year's celebrations this has been straight up Sitting on the bedroom floor.